0: This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Maynard, giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy.
2: Welcome in, MD Nation, to the show. You are listening and/or watching the MD's Fantasy Football Show, streaming to you live on social media at BaileyUpMDFF Show. And of course, always on the MD's Fantasy Football Show YouTube channel. Please subscribe and get the chance to do so. You can always check us out after the show on your favorite pod streaming app. We're available to you pretty much everywhere at this point. And I know we're on at a weird time today. That's because we had some delays, but, you know, we're here now, and now we're a little bit later on, starting here at 1 p.m., streaming to you live. We'll actually be able to talk about some of the practice reports that came out earlier on today, so a little more information for you than we normally get to, because we usually do this show a little bit earlier on. We're still going to be on from 6 to 7.30 on the Unhinged Radio Network, and we'll still be streaming to you live again tonight at 9 p.m. on social media at BillyUpMDFFShow and on the YouTube channel. That'll be the MD's DFS contest and the lock bets for week 10. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. Today's show, this afternoon's show, is going to, of course, be the Thursday night recap. And then we're going to talk about our late slate matchup previews. Remember, we talked about our early window of games on Wednesday night when I had Chris Dauhauer here in studio We we'll talked about the Thursday night preview. But we also talk about all the one o'clock afternoon games. So if you want to go back. Get our analysis, our fancy expectations, our bets for those games. Go check it out on your favorite pod streaming app or on our YouTube channel. So let's go ahead and dive into this because we have a litany of injuries that we got to update you guys on from the early slate window of games because we're going to talk about the late games, those injuries, those players are questionable as we go through the show today. But I want to get you guys up to date in case you missed our show on Wednesday or there's been some updates since that show in in particular. We'll start off with the Corey Davis news. It looks like he is going to be able to practice and play. He's been a limited participant in practice. He's on his way to playing this week. That's the good news for Corey Davis. The bad news is, of course, you're playing against the Buffalo Bills, and I don't see how you can look at this guy as anything more than a mid-level wide receiver for at best. So I don't know how many leagues you really want to be playing Corey Davis in to begin with. Jamal Williams... As far as I know, we still haven't heard, I still haven't heard anything today from the Detroit Lions practice report as of yet. We'll keep you up to date on social media at belly MDF. I've showed all the player news notifications, just more reasons to follow us along. But Jamal Williams has not practiced to this point. It's looking like DeAndre Swift's going to get another week of getting the full workload. Now, of course, the match against the Pittsburgh Steelers is not great. And the last time before the bye week, we had DeAndre Swift getting the full workload. He actually had one of his worst fantasy performances. Now, that was largely due to the fact they only had five targets in that game, which is a decent amount, normally speaking, for a running back. But for DeAndre Swift, especially because of that offensive line and the way the Lions are constituted offensively, needs seven to ten targets to put in the RB1 fantasy outputs that he we've come accustomed to so far this season and will need to do so against the Pittsburgh Steelers because he's not going to be very efficient on the ground. We need him to get more in that range. Hopefully he will. It should happen. That's the better way for running backs to attack the Pittsburgh Steelers. But of course, coaches always, always do what they're supposed to do. I have faith DeAndre Swift is a RB14 for me this week. I may move him up a couple of spots since he'll me an extra carry workload in his future against the Pittsburgh Steelers. But I do like DeAndre Swift quite a bit this week. Obviously, you're going to play him. And I think you can still have that low-end RB1 expectation for him that we have come accustomed to expecting Eric Ebron looks like he's going to return back. So I I don't know how much of a damper that really puts in on the Pat Freermuth of it all. We've all been excited because Pat Freermuth has has now established himself as a go-to red zone target for Ben Roethlisberger, who we know historically, if he can go to a tight end, he typically likes to do so. It doesn't look like we're going to have chase Claypool uh, in this game, he still hasn't been able to practice. It looks like it's going to be James Washington. So they'll probably lean on the tight ends even more so when they get into the red zone heading into this one. Pat Freermuth is a top 15 tight end for me this week. He's still a streaming option. He's not a locked in stardom at a top 12. But Eric Ebron returning doesn't really affect this too much for me. They might have to lean on both of these guys, but he's the future. He's who they want to go to. And because he's already established himself with this report that he already has now a Big Ben. I don't see why you suddenly turn things back to Eric Ebron, who you know you're moving on from next year. Anyway, keep the development going of a young guy who's going to be there moving forward. So I don't think it's going to affect Pat Freeman too much with Eric Ebron coming back, especially with Chase Claypool, of course, being out. Remember, he's listed as week to week. So we knew he was going to probably miss this week. We'll have to see what happens next week. You're holding on to him if you can, especially if you have an IR spot. But the thing about Chase Claypool is that because the target share is so heavily tilted towards Deontay Johnson, and the big play is just not on the table with Big Ben right now. He's never going to be anything more than a volume-based wide receiver three. Now, he still has that floor because Juju Smith-Schuster's out of the equation for the rest of the season, but he's not making or break it in your fantasy lineups anyway. But I would still hold on to him. I wouldn't look to drop him or move on in any kind of way. Uh, More news. We have all the Tampa Bay news. So let's start off with the easy part. Rob Gronkowski's out again. Antonio Brown is out again. We don't know yet about Chris Godwin. He hadn't practiced Wednesday, didn't practice again on Thursday. There's reports that he was in practice in the open portion to the media. We still haven't gotten the official, you know, was he limited, full, whatever. But Bruce Arians did come out and say that he expects Chris Godwin to be a game-time decision on Sunday. Now, here's where you have to handle this. Obviously, if Chris Godwin plays, you play him. Okay, If he's out there against Washington, you're going to play him with confidence, by the way. I wouldn't be too concerned about it if he's able to go. If he does not go, my pivot's going to be Tyler Johnson. Now, I know Scotty Miller has a chance to be activated too, but he's been out for a long time. So even if he does get activated in this game, I have a hard time believing he would be looking at a full plethora of snaps, even if a Chris Godwin was out. Also keep in mind, and I know this was a while ago, but the last time Antonio Brown was out and Scotty Miller was still active, Tyler Johnson played slightly ahead of Scotty Miller in that instance. So here's what I would expect. If Godwin's gone, I would expect Tyler Johnson to be that second targeted receiver next to Mike Evans heading into this matchup against the Washington football team. And because Brady's been so great, because this team throws the ball so much, no matter who the matchup is, no matter who's available on the field, as long as you got Tom Brady, you're going to feel very confident in throwing the football down the field. I would play Tyler Johnson. Now, I haven't updated this in my rankings yet. You want to go check out my rankings, you'll go, you can always go to bellyupfantasysports.com. I usually will update those one final time in the week on from Saturday night into Sunday morning when we're getting the final listings of the injury reports. I do a little bit of tweaking Sunday morning just in case we have some unexpected late inactives or anything like that. But if you want to get the edge on your fantasy lineups, all you got to do is go to com. Check out my rankings at least before kickoffs on Sunday morning. They will be up to date for you. And I will probably have Tyler Johnson, I'd imagine, at the very least, a wide receiver three. He might push because of the way this thing sets up this week with the matchups and the buys. He might push for top 24. But at the very least, he's a strong flex play if Chris Godwin does not go. So that's how I'm kind of filling out that situation. So if you are a Godwin owner, maybe have Tyler Johnson on your team just in case. That might be the easiest pivot that you could possibly make if he's not able to return. Logan Thomas, he's disappointing. We were hoping he would come back. He was working out on Monday. Things were looking like it was heading in the right direction. And then all of a sudden, he wasn't able to go. He wasn't able to practice. He was sore after the Monday workout. Didn't practice yesterday. Didn't practice Thursday. They haven't listed him as out altogether right now, but it doesn't really sound like they're going to activate him off the IR. So I do think we're going to have another week of Ricky Seals-Jones. I had Logan Thomas as a top 10 tight end. I'm just going to slide Ricky Seals-Jones right into that spot. He's going to be the second targeted guy behind Terry McLaurin against this Tampa Bay defense, which still is struggling to get healthy on the back end in that secondary. Ricky Seals-Jones is a guy who, while he's played has been getting six, seven-plus targets every single game to get that out of a tight end, especially a streaming option tight end you can get up off the waiver wire right now because he is less than 50% owned on average. It doesn't come around too often. So he's probably my top streamer of the week, and I might even slide him right into that 10 spot where I had Logan Thomas to begin the week anyway. So if you're looking for a replacement tight end, Ricky Seals-Jones, you can go back to that well again, I believe, this week. Then we have Antonio Gibson. He's been limited all week. It sounds like he's going to be activated. It's a tough situation because you don't know what to expect. You got, you got you have to play Tampa Bay on one hand, so that's already putting you behind the eight ball to begin with. And then we don't know if the extra week off helped him get any better with this shin fracture. I have been talking about this all season long where the shin fracture thing, like that's not going to get better unless he's able to rest it the only time you'd be able to have a chance to rest it would be on the bye week. So he gets that, but how healthy can a fracture really heal in let's say 12 days worth of time. Cause that's basically what we're talking about here. So Antonio Gibson's nothing more than RB three for me this week. I would only play him as a flex option. And that's if I had to, because you know, JD McKissick, you know, the game script expected for this game is for the bucks to be leading, especially through the majority of the second half in Washington to have to come back. It's going to be JD McKissick time who I also have as an RB3, but I feel a little bit better about having in my flex place, especially we're talking about half point, full point PPR leagues. You can throw to the running back on Tampa Bay. Generally speaking, you can't run on them, but you can throw on them. So JD McKissick is somebody I'd rather use. Antonio Gibson, really only if you have to. And there's plenty of teams out there where you might have to. The good news, I guess, for you right now is that at least he's continuing to play. More news from the early window of games. James Robinson... He's expect, he was expected to return. It sounds like he's going to be a game-time decision. Wasn't able to practice on Wednesday. Wasn't able to practice on Thursday. Sounds like he's going to wind up getting listed as a limited participant today, which is going to allow him to be a game-time decision on Sunday. So pretty much if you picked up Carlos Hyde, just stand by. Just stand by, because if he gets inactive, it's not a great matchup on paper against the Colts. But it's still a heck of a lot better matchup than what he had against the Buffalo Bills. And I think he'll be more involved in the passing game. That was really more my surprise against the Bills, that he only had two targets in that game. But he got all the work. So I expect him to be more involved in the passing game against the Colts, having a little bit more of a floor. I If he if Robinson cannot go, Carlos Hyde will be an RB3 for me heading into this week. So I think you can use him as a flex play. And just to put it in a little, you know, uh, Put it in a box for you. That way, you can kind of like get an idea on the value. I would rather play Carlos Hyde if he's the starter than Antonio Gibson this particular week. Just to kind of give you an idea on where I'm at for for that spot. In case you find yourself in that situation. On the flip side of that, if James Robinson goes, you play him as an RB two. No doubt about it, he's going to be the lead guy. If he's healthy enough to go, they'll play him. You have to play him. In this situation, he's been so good all year long as a solid, solid RB2 floor uh, because of all the work that he gets in the passing game. So I wouldn't be hesitant to play him just because he's coming off this heel injury. Remember, it's a heel injury. So it's really more about pain management than it is about really affecting the performance or running the risk of being high, being a high injury risk. So that's the good news in that aspect of it. So if the pain is manageable... I expect James Robinson to be out there quite a bit. Moving down the list here, Hilton T.Y. Hilton sounds like he's going to be back good to go. He's practiced all three days. Sounds like he's going to clear that concussion protocol by Sunday. Can you play him? Look, there's some teams out there are so ravaged by injury and bye weeks that I think he's an option. I really do. He's a he's definitely no more than a wide receiver four. He's a boom or bust option. He could. Easily, especially against Jacksonville, get a couple of bombs and turn in a great fantasy day. But on the flip side, we've had yet to see him get through a full game without picking up some sort of injury, whether it be the Houston Texans where he picked up the quad, or whether it be last week or two weeks ago, I should say, when he got the concussion. And it cost him a week because it was a Thursday game. T.Y. Hilton, in that game, his first game back when he got the concussion, he was only playing in three receiver sets. So you are still running the risk, too, on top of it all, that the Colts just dominate this game with Jonathan Taylor and don't find themselves in too many three-receiver sets. But with T.Y. Hilton, if you're playing him, you're playing from that one or two big plays that you might get in this particular matchup against the Jacksonville Jaguars. That's what you're playing him for. So he might be available to you if you need to hit a home run this particular week. Sounds like he will be active. we got the Nick Chubb COVID issues Brown's all holding out hope, of course, that he's going to play. And you would with when you have your star running back and you know your whole offense is built off of that. You want him to be able to go. And because he's vaccinated, there, of course, still is a chance. But he's running out of time. And from what I understand, as of right now, he has not tested negative yet. So he has to do it tomorrow. And then he has to do it again Sunday morning to have any chance to play. I would say at this point, it's far more likely that Dearness Johnson will be the lead back over Nick Chubb. Where's DeAnders Johnson's value if he's the guy? Probably a low end RB1, high-end RB two, exactly where Nick Chubb would have been. I don't have, I'm not going to rank these guys any differently, depending upon who is the starter for that game. So if you have DeAnders Johnson, there's no Nick Chubb this week, you're firing him up with confidence after a great performance he had before. And you know, even without Chubb, the Browns' offense is still going to be built around the running game and keeping Baker Mayfield limited to play action and not having to do too much. Cause that is how Cleveland Browns win football games, but I don't think he's going to play now Jarvis Landry. He was able to come back and practice in a limited capacity. He's still trying to get back from that knee injury. It's still very obvious that he's not hundred percent right now, or probably anywhere close to it. But, I still had to rank him as a top 36 wide receiver in half point PPR leagues because just off the historical data of without OBJ around, the amount of targets that he sees, it usually gives him a safe floor. And while last week he was certainly disappointed with three catches for 11 yards, I believe it was, technically he was still the most targeted pass catcher on the team. Now, maybe that doesn't matter if Baker Mayfield's only throwing the ball 22 times, which of course is very possible, especially in a game that is screaming, Defense screaming under when you're talking about the Cleveland Browns and the New England Patriots, because both teams just want to, you know, ground and pound and play defense and try to win the game that way. So that's what it's going to boil down to. So Jarvis Landry's not somebody I want to play, but there is a floor there based on target share, depending upon how that game goes, if you have to. Speaking of the Patriots, Damian Harris, Ramondre Stevenson still in concussion protocol. There was two different reports going on today. So far, and we're only midway through the day, about Ramondra Stevenson and what's going on with him. There was a report earlier that said, like, hey, it looks like he's going to be practicing. It looks like he's progressing pretty well. It looks like he's got a good chance to activate and suit up. But there was another report stating that officially, he was still, a did not practice. Bill Belichick still has him and Harris in a day-to-day situation. So we still haven't had any clarity. We probably won't find out until tomorrow, but if neither one of them has practiced to this point it's usually a very bad sign for getting cleared for concussion protocol for players. Usually you have to be practicing a limit capacity by Thursday and practicing again on Friday to be on the right track. Now it's not impossible. That's not what I'm saying, but it's usually very unlikely. I think it's actually more likely at this point that Brandon Bolden and JJ Taylor will be the running backs come Sunday. In which case Brandon Bolden becomes an interesting floor RB three for me this week. He really does. Because we know at least with Bolden, he gets the opportunity to catch the football. And because you look at J.J. Taylor and you know what he is, and without Ramondre Stevenson and Damian Harris, he'll probably be the lead carrying back as well. Now, you don't love the matchup here, but it's volume. Volume's all that has mattered for running backs this entire season to this point. Why would it change here? Why would it change now? I don't think it would. So Brandon Bolden becomes a very interesting flex RB3 spot play, depending upon what your situation is. And again, I'll keep going back to this example, because I think a lot of people are finding themselves in this dilemma with Antonio Gibson. Would you play Brandon Bolden or Antonio Gibson if Stevenson and Harris are both out? My quick immediate response to that is, you know what? I probably would lean Bolden. I probably would because of the volume and the matchup isn't quite as bad because remember the Cleveland defensive line, it sounds like Miles Garrett's going to play, but for the most part, they're pretty banged up right now in that front four. So there might be a few extra holes that, normally speaking, would not be there. But yeah, Brandon Bolton could be a really interesting play this particular week coming up. Dawson Knox is full go. He practiced him full yesterday. I think he's going to practice him full again today. He's back. He's a top six tight end for me. You're playing Dawson Knox, and you're feeling great about it against the New York Jets. Good to have him back. But Zach Moss is still going through concussion protocol. And from what I understand, I don't think he's practiced Wednesday or Thursday. I'm still waiting for the report to come out for him on Friday. We'll keep you up to date on social media when it does. But he's not able to go, if he's not able to go at all today, then he might be out, which means Devin Singletary would become a top 24 running back. He would become an RB2 automatically for me against Jacksonville if he's getting all the work. Now, I know all the work for a running back in Buffalo still might mean less than 20 touches but it should mean at least 15 and at least 15 touches for Devin Singletary against this Jacksonville team or I'm excuse I guess this Jets team I'm having flashbacks to last week against this Jets team it should mean business it should mean good fantasy production so I'm going to play him with confidence as an RB2 I'm not worried about the game last week that was against Jacksonville where Buffalo put up a complete and total stinker we know they're better than that we know that sometimes those things just Happened in the NFL, where you just run into these potholes out of nowhere that you weren't anticipating, you didn't see coming up, and it rips out the bottom of your car. That's what happened. The Bills got caught napping. They didn't see it coming. They weren't paying attention. They were texting while driving, and it ripped out the bottom of their car against the Jacksonville Jaguars last week. It's not going to happen against another crappy team, but a divisional opponent and a divisional rival. I expect Buffalo to show, hey, you know what? We are the best team in the AFC. I think the Jets are about to run into a buzzsaw against the Buffalo Bills this week. So I love Devin Singletary if Zach Moss is not going to be back from his concussion protocol, which right now I would lean more towards that not, being, or that not being the case as far as Zach Moss being able to pass concussion protocol. More news that we have for you guys. Uh, Michael Gallup is expected to return. He's been practicing in full all week long. Again, he's nothing more than a wide receiver for either. I would not expect him to have a full plethora of snaps that we will normally see him have as we move forward through the season. It's been, what, over, it's been about six weeks now at this point, almost seven weeks since we've seen Michael Gallup in action. He's not going to come out there and rip it up right away. But I do think he's an interesting play the rest of the way. We've seen teams are starting to play Dallas a little more tough. They're having to be a little bit more aggressive. A little, Their passing volume has gone up in recent weeks. And we know Michael Gallup's a good wide receiver. Now, will he always be a hit or miss wide receiver three at best? Probably the rest of the way, even when he's playing his full plethora of snaps because you still have Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb. Yeah, he is. But he is a talented fantasy asset that should be on the back end, at least, of your rosters that you might be able to pick and choose and utilize when you start to figure out, okay, which matchups should be Michael Gallup weeks when you can play him. So I I think he's a fantasy asset, but I wouldn't want to play him this week if you can all help it, because I doubt he would get a full plethora of work here. And last, but certainly not least, Alvin Kamara still has not practiced. And from what we understand today, the Saints are preparing as if they're not going to have Alvin Kamara against the Tennessee Titans. So that means Mark Ingram, he becomes a low-end RB2, maybe a high-end RB3. But they don't have many guys to turn to. That's why they were bringing in guys off the street to work out. So Mark Ingram might be in for a pretty decent workload. Now, if you're going to ask yourself, well, what's the difference between him getting a heavy workload in this game and the fact that he was the lead running back in Houston up until this point? Although there was a bit of a committee going on there, I would say this: Well, one, again, the committee thing. There's no David Johnson takeaways, passing targets. He might actually be in line for a few targets this week. But two it's the Saints. They're a much better team. They're a much better offensive line. Sean Payton's a much better coach. He's in a good situation where he has a great opportunity to be able to score a touchdown. Tennessee has been a lot better up front recently, but it's not a defense I feel like you can't run the football on. So I think Mark Ingram is in for at least a nice solid day. You can go ahead pick him up. Spot start him as your RB2 if you need to if you're decimated by injury or bye week. At the very least, he's a very valuable flex play for you this week too. So if he's available, and he's not available in less than 50% of leagues or anything like that, but there are some leagues where he's out there, and he is, about a quarter, I would say. If he's available, go ahead and pick up Mark Ingram this week because I don't think we're going to see Alvin Kamara. Now, what's frustrating about Kamara, speaking to the Kamara owners here in this instance, we still don't know exactly the nature of the knee injury. The Saints have been Fort Knox when it comes to their secrets. I talked about this on Wednesday, and I said to Chris, you know, the Capitol building, Washington, D.C., they need to get on the phone with the Saints and figure out how do you keep leaks from coming out? How does nobody know the severity or the exact nature of the knee injury for Alvin Kamara? And by the way, we still don't know exactly who the starting quarterback is. They haven't really officially announced whether it be Trevor Simeon or Taysom Hill. At this point, because we haven't heard anything, we'll have to assume that they're staying put with Trevor Simeon. But that's a question that wasn't necessarily answered that we thought we were going to get an answer to today as well. Maybe we will still later on in the afternoon. And if we do, of course, we'll keep you up to date. But that's something we still don't know 100% about. They've kept some secrets in the Saints very, very well. And unfortunately for fantasy owners, it's hard to know how to respond. It's hard to know how to react. Are you going to have multiple weeks without Alva or is it just this week? We don't know, unfortunately. So as soon as we find out something or as soon as there's a, a context clue that we can kind of read the tea leaves on, I'll make sure MD Nation, you know about it and what we need to do for preparing if we are going to be without Alvin Kamara for a little while, hopefully that does not wind up being the case. It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution with Call, Meet, and Message all in one app, Ring Central makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere with anyone at any time and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at RingCentral.com. RingCentral.
0: Simpler communications. Shopify presents Cool Sheets from Aha to... Lying awake while you bake isn't cool. I suffered from the wrong kind of hot in bed. Heat-induced insomnia. That was my Aha moment. Bed sheets that keep you cool. Then I thought, how do I even sell bedsheets? That's when I had the idea that made it all possible. Signing up on Shopify. With the help of Shopify's intuitive online store creator, I started selling sustainable bamboo sheets that keep cool year round. And my cool idea became a reality. Hot sleepers around the world rejoice. Shopify makes it simple to keep your cool while starting and growing your business. Start selling with Shopify today and join the commerce platform powering millions of businesses worldwide. From Uh aha to anything is possible. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22.
2: But that's going to do it for the injury updates from the early slate window of games that we talked about on Wednesday night. Make sure, again, you go back, check it out on your favorite pod streaming app or on our YouTube channel. What I want to do now, though, is I'll take a quick break. When we come back on the other side, I want to talk about the Thursday night preview and get into some of our late slate matchup previews for week 10 or I'm sorry the Thursday night recap and previews for the late slate games of week 10 so everybody stay tuned to the MD's fantasy football show and we'll be back with you right after this MD nation we want to welcome in a new sponsor of the show called props fantasy from propsfantasy.com Props Fantasy is a website and app which allows users to import their season-long fantasy teams to challenge other season-long fantasy teams. Their crucial difference is that you can challenge other teams that you are not playing in your league that week, or aren't even in your league, or not even on the same platform. The idea behind Props Fantasy is to let casual season-long fantasy players use the teams they already have to engage in daily fantasy-type content contest for winnings users can wager anything from $1 up to 1000 on a head-to-head challenge props fantasy even harmonizes the scoring if you're in a ppr league and your opponent is not props fantasy will default to a half point ppr or you can manually adjust it they also handle things like standard lineup versus super flex their developers are fantasy football diehards and have thought of everything including idp so if you think your season-long team is not just the best in your league but the best in all leagues This is your chance to find out and win money when you sign up for the Props Fantasy app today at PropsFantasy.com. So join in on the fun.
0: You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show.
2: Welcome back, MD Nation, to the show. You are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show, streaming to you live on social media at Show, And of course, subscribe to the MD's Fantasy Football Show YouTube channel. We're available to you on your favorite pod streaming app after the show so you can listen to us whenever and make sure you get caught up on all of our episodes every single week. We'll be back tonight from 6 to 7.30 on the Unhinged radio network from six, and then on unhingesn.airtime.pro. And then again at 9 p.m., we'll be streaming to you live once again for the MD's DFS contest and lock bets of the week. Make sure you don't miss that. We'll have our free contest out for you guys to be able to join. If you win, you win one free week of easy sports betting data and you get to put your name eligible in a hat for a drawing to win one free championship football from championshipfootballs.com. So we'll talk about that in tonight's episode. Make sure you don't miss it then. Okay, so let's talk about the game last night. And the big takeaway, of course is the Miami Dolphins' defense has turned a corner. So there's a couple things here as to why. Their defense obviously has gotten healthier with their Xavier Howard and Byron Jones returning. But the big key here, especially over the past couple of weeks, Brian Flores took back over the defensive play calling. We've seen a difference. What's been the main difference, if you ask, if you haven't watched too many Dolphins games? Well, the main difference is they're blitzing a hell of a lot more. This looks a lot like the Dolphins' defense that was... Very good for fantasy purposes last year, playing now this year. Now, I don't know why it took them halfway through the season to decide, hey, you know what, we need to get back to blitzing and being aggressive, especially since we have good man-to-man corners, but they are doing it now. So, keep in mind here, when you're playing against the Miami Dolphins moving forward, on paper, it's going to look like great matchups. No matter what platform you're on, it's going gonna, it's gonna to look green. It's going to be like, oh, this is a juicy matchup here for my fantasy guy against the Miami Dolphins. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. It's not going to, it's not gonna be the same thing. You are going to have to lower your expectations when you're playing as the Dolphins defense, as long as Brian Flores continues to be the one calling the plays. And as long as they continue to be healthy too, because that's a big thing on top of it. But the Dolphins defense, I think is here to stay for the rest of the year. If things are going to stay, the variables are going to stay in place with Flores and with health. I still think you can run on this team a little bit. I know the Ravens had a tough time, but the Dolphins had a great game plan built in for the Ravens specifically. I think if you have a good running back, I'm not overly concerned about it. But receiver-wise, quarterback-wise, they're going to be under duress. I think the receivers are going to have a tough time. I think you have to lower your expectations, especially when it comes to those skill position players. So that's the big takeaway that you have to for this game from last night. Of course, it was a, a complete upset Going into the game, Jacoby Brissett was the starting quarterback. You expected the Ravens to take care of business, and frankly, they couldn't. Because outside of the first couple of drives in the first quarter, they looked completely out of sync on offense the entire time. They looked like they had no idea how to handle the blitz. And look, I know a lot of people make fun of Troy Aikman, and I'm going to take a little bit of a shot at him here too, but in a kind of backhanded compliment way. If Troy Aikman is looking at your what defense you're playing and say, hey, offense, I mean, speaking to the Ravens, there's a very simple th- way to beat this, <laughs> you know, by putting a guy over the middle <laughs> and letting him go, which should have been primetime Mark Andrews territory, and he had a good game. We'll talk about that in a second, but the fact that they were just not beating the simple coverage is mind-boggling. Greg Groman did not adjust to the defense the Dolphins were playing. He just didn't do it. He didn't try to beat it. They didn't try to run any screens and catch the Dolphins tilting, which they were tilting pretty much all game long. I don't know why they didn't throw any screens. They would have caught them off guard and got them back on their heels very instantly because it was wide open, and he wouldn't call anybody down the seam or in an in-pattern over the middle. Don't know why, but that would have beat it easily, too. Instead, Lamar Jackson got held out to dry. Didn't look great throwing the football because he's under the rest pretty much the entire game, and the Dolphins look like rock stars stopping the run. So this is the part I get. I have problems with Greg Roman sometimes because he does not do a very good job adjusting on the fly when defenses come out with something that is putting his offense way out of rhythm. He doesn't adjust very well. So that's the one thing I've always had kind of a drawback with him, but I'm not worried about this overall from a Ravens standpoint. I know Lamar Jackson here. He was 26 of 43, 238 yards, you know, a passing touchdown an interception Nine carries for 39 yards. I get it. He wasn't great fantasy-wise. And there's been a couple dud games here and there for Lamar Jackson this season. But apparently, and we pointed this out on Wednesday night, that's been the case for all the quarterbacks this year. Look at Patrick Mahomes. Look at Josh Allen. Look at Kyler Murray. All these guys must to be top five quarterbacks every single week. We've gotten plenty of dud games for one reason or another. Kyler mostly due to injury. Josh Allen's been inconsistent at times. Patrick Mahomes is going through a slump like we've never seen with him. And Lamar Jackson's had games where he didn't just completely Superman out and take over. And when he doesn't do that, sometimes he seems to have a hard time scoring 20 points. So it's just the nature of the quarterback position in general this season. It does go to help illustrates why we harp on don't draft quarterbacks early in your drafts because you can find replacement value throughout the year but I'm not if you have Lamar Jackson you continue to start Lamar Jackson he's still going to be a top five quarterback in my rankings pretty much every single week I can't think of a week where he wouldn't be going into it and I'm not going to be overly concerned about it Here's what I will say, and this, this isn't just about Lamar. This is about all the quarterbacks, you know, the top ones that you took anyway, Josh Allen, Kyler Murray, uh, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes especially. If you could trade these guys for a valuable running back, a valuable receiver, maybe an elite tight end, do it. Do it. Especially the way the quarterback position has been this season, you can pick up and stream quarterbacks at a very effective rate this year. It should have been proven with guys like Jalen Hurts. Joe Burrow's consistently been a streaming quarterback. I think to attack Lavoa because the Dolphins still can't run. We'll talk about that in a second. He's going to be a streaming quarterback as he works his way back. And after last night, it looks like he'll be the starting quarterback again moving forward who, because he played a pretty good game on a hurt finger that they weren't comfortable enough to start him with in the beginning of the game anyway. So do it. Because i will help out your team more in the long run as you go through championships than having these guys right now. Josh Allen, I think, of all of them, has the best chance to be the QB one that you drafted him to be and turn things around because given the Buffalo offense, I think I don't think it takes as much for the Buffalo offense to get a little bit more consistent right now, which is the main issue they're having as it does for the other players. But they're not worth not getting A high-end RB2 or more, a high-end wide receiver 2 or more, or an elite tight end. If that offer comes to you on the table, take it. Or maybe shop them around. See what you can get. But streaming quarterback right now is probably more consistent than having to play these top-end guys every single week. just the nature of the position has been. It's the pattern so far this year. So just kind of wanted to bring that up as a possible option that people don't usually think about. Devonta Freeman was disappointing in this game. 10 carries, 35 yards. And not that you're expecting big performances out of Devonta Freeman, though. But he looked pretty good in the beginning of the game. You thought you were going to be off to a nice little start here. But the, the reason why you play Devonta Freeman, especially as an RB3, heading into the week was because the lead running back of the Ravens has a probably a better than 50% chance at this point to score a touchdown. So he was disappointed he wasn't able to get in there, but he's nothing more than a spot start flex play anyway. So you're going to have games like this where that tends to happen. I think we got to break down those the wide receivers. Rashad Bateman, six receptions, 80 yards on eight targets in this game, played less snaps though than Devin Duvernay, who was very involved in this matchup. We'll talk about him in a second. That was interesting to me. Now, clearly they came out with a game plan where they wanted to use Devin Duvernay in these jet sweeps, you know, try to get the defense tilting and off guard, and it didn't really work because they played disciplined football. So that's what they were hoping for. But Bateman making the most of his opportunity. Sammy Watkins had the really bad fumble at the end of the game. He only played 23 snaps anyway. We weren't expecting a full workload out of him. But I do think, especially after this game, it's safe to say, not that I didn't think this before, but it's safe to say Rashad Bateman is the wide receiver two for the Ravens moving forward. Meaning he's probably gonna be a wide receiver three. So he's gonna be a, he's gonna be a valuable fantasy asset in draft in redraft leagues, I think the rest of the way. He's a must add, not always gonna be a must start, but he's definitely a must add. Have him on your rosters. And he's something I think you're gonna be able to plug and play when needed. Marquise Brown had six receptions as well, but only 37 yards. He still had the 13 targets. So that's where I'm not worried about Brown. They target him a ton. He had a couple bad drops they should have had. And again, just the way the Dolphins were playing defense, Brown was not able to get in position to hit those deep shots like he had been up until this point. And that was really the main difference for him. But Marquise Brown right now Still playing, looking like a wide receiver won the rest of the way. Because again, the volume here tells all with 13 targets in this matchup. That I'm not going to be worried about him just because he had one bad performance or not great performance, I should say, in this game. Like I said, Mark Andrews came through for you. Six receptions, 63 yards. He gets the touchdown, the only touchdown for the Baltimore Ravens on eight targets he should have been utilized more. Again, if they use Andrews over the middle like they should have, they probably would have got the Dolphins out of that defense that they were in. But always, you're you're happy with Mark Andrews. He always has a safe floor. He is the safety blanket for Lamar Jackson. He is the number one red zone target for Lamar Jackson. So while the Rashad Bateman is nice and Sammy Watkins coming off of injury is nice, those additional pieces do not take away the role of a Mark Andrews.
0: Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free 22 shopify.com slash free 22.
2: Cause there was some concern about that a few weeks ago. I think that can get put the rest now moving forward. On the Dolphins side of the ball. I was so happy to see Tua I, I, from a fantasy perspective. I mean, it wasn't anything to be super gaudy about. And I think Tua Tagovaleva is nothing more than a top 15 quarterback who will be in the streaming territory the rest of the way. But as a public to apologist, which I have no problem being, I was happy to see him come in, play well, and lead the Dolphins to an upset victory there in the second half. Even with a bum hand, a bum throwing hand at that, he's still a million times better than Jacoby Brissett. That was that much was, whew, was that clear and evident on on tape. And I think too is a lot better than people want to give him credit for. I don't really understand why he gets the shaft the way that he does off of such a little sample size, he still has not played a full 16 or started a full 16 games yet in his career. Now, you want to say the injuries compared to a Herbert, you know, are a bit of a problem, sure. But, I mean, compared to Joe Burrow, he one, Burrow has more weapons, and two, Burrow came off an ACL injury last year, too. So it wasn't like he's been a model of health so far in his young career. I don't know why Tua Tagovailoa gets the shaft that he does. Maybe it was because the blanketing coverage about trying to acquire Deshaun Watson, which I still doesn't think reflects negatively on Tua. Deshaun Watson's a, an established superstar franchise quarterback in this league. When that gets available, one that's rare, Tua is still developing. You still don't know exactly where he's going to go. So I don't think that was an indictment on Tua Tagovailoa because the Dolphins were interested in Deshaun Watson. So I was happy to see him come in here on primetime television, play the way he did in the second half with an injury and lead his team to victory. From a fan standpoint, again, he's nothing more than a streamer moving forward. Miles Gaskin, he continues to dominate the snaps without Malcolm Brown, dominate the touches. 14 carries, though, 31 yards. Very inefficient in this one. And the problem, really... And this, it was this weekend last week. The problem really is not involved in the passing game the way they he should. He only had two targets in this game one, one reception for 14 yards. Should have had a touchdown on the screen, but of course the offensive lineman got in the way. <laughs> it was, look, that was great. That was hilarious. Good for you. But I don't know what he was doing because the guard there he turned around like he was expecting to be thrown the football instead of on a screen pass. The offensive lineman is not supposed to turn around. He's supposed to be getting his way, working his way down the field and blocking already. So when the running back behind him catches it, he turned around and was like, he was looking for the ball the entire time as if it was designed to go to him. It was so strange. Good for him is going to be a great meme for the rest of the year, at least maybe even beyond but he kind of stole a touchdown away there from Miles Gaskin because that screenplay was there. It was wide open. If he just does his job and goes off and blocks and let the running back catch the ball like he's supposed to. But Miles Gaskin overall, he has to get more involved in the passing game. And Malcolm Brown might be a week or two away from returning. And then we're back to this, who knows what anybody's workload is going to be as a result to that. So I think what you're hoping for is next week, Brown will still be out. Gaskin to actually have a decent game because two will be back out there, maybe he will get more involved in the passing game if two is starting, and try to sell Miles Gaskin, you know, on whatever sell a high Miles Gaskin actually looks like. Because we're going to be right back to where we started early on in the season, where we never know when he's going to play, and as a result, you're never going to want to play him, but you're not going to want to drop him either. Players like that, you have to try to see if you can trade them away. Jalen Waddle continues to be the lead targeted guy. I mean, they didn't get overly. They didn't get overly with it with the with the passing game in this one because they mostly kept it on the ground with their defense pretty much winning them this game. But six receptions, or six targets, four receptions, 61 yards. I know it's been a bit disappointing the past few weeks, but I think you have to continue to play Waddle as a wide receiver, too, who's getting a lot of volume, especially now that two is back. His ceiling goes up. Same thing for, my, for Mike Isecki. Now, I know this was brutal. He totally dudded you out, zeroed you out, Had seven targets, so it wasn't a lack of trying. A lot of those balls weren't really catchable. But at least they tried to get him the football. Mike Iseki continues to be a top 10 tight end, especially while Devontae Parker and Will Fuller continue to miss. The volume will be there. The quarterback play is going to improve, and they're not going to play the Ravens every single week. So nothing for me changes in that scenario. And I don't really care about Albert Wilson, who did have a nice game, four catches, 87 yards on five targets. We've seen Albert Wilson. We've seen guys like Isaiah Ford come in and have one good game here or there, but they're just guys. And even with Parker or Will Fuller out, are really nothing that you want to harp on from a fantasy perspective. All right, so that does it for our Thursday Night Recap, everything we could take out of there. Let's get into, finally, the preview of our late slate matchups for Week 10 starting off with the Carolina Panthers and the Arizona Cardinals. So we'll start off with the news first. Of course, Sam Darnold's going to be out for a while. So Cam Newton, Mr. X Superman himself is going to make a return to the Arizona Cardinals. Great. Awesome. What does that mean? Fantasy wise? Well, a couple things. Let's start it off with Cam Newton himself. Cam's going to be somebody who's going to probably be in that top 16 range. He's going to run. We know this, especially when they get in the goal line. He's going to have the opportunity to score touchdowns, to basically be a vulture goal line back. Does that take away a little bit from CMC? It does to some degree. Yes, it takes away his ceiling for his touchdowns, but it also helps CMC out a lot, that maybe he won't have PJ Walker as his quarterback for the next month, and maybe won't have to deal with Sam Darnold for the rest of the year, even if he was to return. So it's kind of a little bit of a give and take when it comes to Christian McCaffrey here with Cam Newton coming back into the mix. And remember, Cam's a different quarterback than what he was the first stint with McCaffrey. He doesn't look to throw the ball down the field as much anymore because he can't. He's going to check the ball down quite a bit. I don't think the target share for McCaffrey, which ultimately is the most valuable aspect of McCaffrey's fantasy value anyway, is going to go down now with Cam Newton because he is more of a check down quarterback. So I think ultimately you're fine with Christian McCaffrey getting back to his top five status. I actually have him as RB five this week. Now that's more to do with the fact that PJ Walker is going to have to be the starting quarterback. Unfortunately this week, I just don't know offensively what Carolina is going to be able to accomplish as a result from that, because he's a, he's, he doesn't belong in the NFL. Uh, he was a great story. Good for him. Doesn't belong in the NFL. He's not even, I don't even think he's good enough to be a backup quarterback. But luckily you only have to deal with it for one week. So after this, Christian McCaffrey, I think, goes back up to being somebody who will be either my number one or at the very least in my top three. And Cam Newton will be helping with that because he will give him at least a stabilized floor offensively to operate from. Okay, so now what does it do for the wide receivers? Well, it just stabilizes things. I think you know, DJ Moore, he doesn't get that, he doesn't get back to the ceiling of a wide receiver one. That's not on the table and hasn't been for a while. But with Cam, at least he might stabilize as a solid wide receiver too, who's going to get volume with catchable balls. Remember, Jacoby Myers was pretty much a top 30 receiver every single week because of the volume he was seeing with Cam Newton. And while he wasn't scoring touchdowns, DJ Moore I think will be a little bit better than Jacoby Myers was, at least he'll get more than zero. We've seen Cam feature that wide receiver who goes over the middle, runs short to intermediate routes, plays a lot of the slot. That's everything DJ Moore does. We've seen him be able to feature that guy in New England. I don't see why he wouldn't be able to feature that guy in Carolina. And again, doesn't offer him a huge ceiling, but does stabilize the floor. So I think this is great news for DJ Moore owners, which he was trending in a really bad direction where he wasn't even a must-start anymore. He's not a must-start for me this week. I got him at wide receiver 26, so I have him as a high-end wide receiver three. You can play him. I doubt you have better options than a DJ Moore, given where you probably drafted him and what the makeup of your team is. But he was turning a direction where you're going to have to start picking up guys off the waiver wire to stream over him to have more upside. Now, at least, I think he gets a stabilized floor where you can play him and feel confident that he's not going to kill you every single week. Maybe he doesn't go back to the wide receiver one, but he at least will be able to stabilize for you. It doesn't do anything from Robbie Anderson's standpoint. I'm staying away. Cam doesn't throw the deep ball anymore. And he never really cared about Terrace Marshall or the tight ends anyway. Let's stuff things over the Arizona side of the ball. Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins. Now, at least Kyler Murray was able to practice in a limited capacity today. The report is that they're both going to be Questionable. They're both going to be game time decisions on Sunday. Now, of course, this poses its own problems because it's a four o'clock game. So you're going to have to make your decision one way or another earlier on in the day. And there's no guarantee that we're really going to know. Most of the time, we've been pretty fortunate to find out Sunday morning, even if it's guys on a four o'clock game, one way or another, which way the team is leaning as far as are they going to play or not. However, with the Cardinals, We've seen them take things legitimately up to game time this year and then roll guys out. Here's what I would say. I would plan on not playing DeAndre Hopkins. He was very limited in that Thursday game. He didn't practice a lick this week. Even if he's activated, he might only be a decoy. He might not only, he might not be able to play a full plethora of snaps or, you know, might get reaggravated if he does try to go out there to begin with. So I would plan on not playing DeAndre Hopkins this week. That would be my plan. Kyler Murray, on the other hand, because they've been talking him up all week as getting better, and he's been vying for playing so hard, and he was able to practice today at least somewhat, Kyler Murray is somebody that I think might have an opportunity to go. But there's a caveat to that. You're saying, okay, well, you think he's going to be active, so I play him. Hold on. And I might reflect this in my rankings. I don't know for sure that I'm going to have Kyler Murray ranked inside my top 10, even if he's activated. The reason being, if he is dealing with his ankle and he is limited, and I expect that he would be, even if he's out there playing, we've seen it last year when Kyler Murray picks up injuries, he doesn't run. When Kyler Murray doesn't run, he's not a great fantasy quarterback because he's not a great pocket passing quarterback not his game that's not where his value comes from and he's been a bit disappointing since the beginning of the season anyway because he hasn't been running as much as he was in September James Conner's been so good at the goal line that they've kind of stopped doing the read option where Kyler Murray would get his his goal line touches that hasn't happened because James Conner's been so good so even if Kyler Murray's active I don't know if he has to be a starting quarterback I don't know if he's a must start for you there might be better options out there. In fact, I would probably prefer to play a Carson Wentz for instance. Who is one of my top streamers coming into the week. So it has to do with what you have available to you, obviously. But don't feel like if Kyler Murray's activated that you have to play him this week. Because he's a drastically different fantasy quarterback if his legs are not part of the equation. Keep that in mind. As far as the running backs go, we talk about James Connor. He's my RB12. He's an I'm telling you right now, and it's only because this is a tough match against Carolina because they're so good against the run, but he's going to be probably inside my top 10 every single week until Chase Edmonds is able to return. He's been phenomenal in the red zone, and now if you're going to give him all the passing work on top of it, he's an RB1. He's got all the volume. He's a workhorse back. James Connors, what he was a couple of years ago for the Pittsburgh Steelers, as far as your considerations are for fantasy football purposes. It's crazy, but that's where we're at. So you play James Conner. Again, they'll get to the wide receivers. I said, don't play DeAndre Hopkins, I think, no matter what at this point. But I am going to play Christian Kirk. Rondale Moore returned to practice today, but I don't know if you can play Rondale Moore, unfortunately, no matter what's going on. A.J. Green's back. That's number one. So we know that A.J. Green will be the starter. Christian Kirk will be the guy on the other side. Kirk is the best receiver right now heading into this matchup between being able to hit big plays... And if they play Antoine Wesley, which is this is where I don't think Rondell Moore's is a play this week. If they play Antoine Wesley on the outside and have Christian Kirk play his slot position with AJ Green back like they did the first time they lost DeAndre Hopkins in that Thursday night game, then Rondell Moore goes back to his snaps being a wider being the wide receiver four on the team, so you can't play him in that instance. And I do think that's going to wind up being more the key. So I think Christian Kirk, he's the top 36 wide receiver for me. You can play him as a wide receiver three. You can play him in your flex with some confidence, I think, no matter whether it's Colt McCoy, whether it's Kyler Murray. I don't think that part's going to matter. But as long as DeAndre Hopkins is out or limited, I think you can feel pretty confident in Kirk being a spot star for you if you need be, but not Rondale Moore. It's annoying, it's frustrating, but apparently they'd rather play Antoine Wesley on the outside if A.J. Green's back so they can continue to play Christian Kirk in the slot and then keep Rondell Moore for just a gadget role and nothing more. That's all he's allowed to be his rookie season, obviously. So the the Rondell Moore hit, the Rondell Moore breakout in his rookie year, I don't think it's going to come, unfortunately. I don't. I think the upside that we are all hoping for, waiting for, is out the window, and he doesn't need to be owned in 10, 12-man leagues, and redraft as a result. Zach Ertz is always a top 10 tight end. Always. So you're playing him pretty much no matter what. You love him. As far as betting this game goes, it's a hard game to bet on. Because on the Arizona side, you have no idea who's going to be healthy. I do know they're going to win the game. Whether it's, whether it's Kyler Murray, whether it's Colt McCoy, it does not matter. I know they're going to win the game because it's P.J. Walker starting for them on the other side. So their defense could actually just win them this game. The line set at minus 10.5. The over-under at 44. That's what I'm interested in. Even though the over-under is only set at 44, give me the under. I don't think we're going to see a lot of points scored in this game. That's also why I'm going to stay away from the 10.5 point line. If it's a lower-scoring game, there's more of a chance Carolina can cover, but because they have P.J. Walker, I'm not going to tell you to bet on the plus 10.5, so I'm staying away from that, but I do think this winds up being a very low-scoring game. Give me the under on 44.5. All right, let's dive into our next matchup here. we got the Minnesota Vikings, Los Angeles Chargers. Of course, we have all that news circulating off the field about Dalvin Cook, but as I explained earlier in the week, it's a civil suit. There's no police charges, investigations of any kind going on as of this moment. And if you've been paying any attention whatsoever to the Deshaun Watson situation of it all, you should understand that nothing's going to happen to Dalvin Cook, at least not anytime soon. We'll follow the story along to see exactly what happens. But from a fantasy standpoint, you're playing Dalvin Cook. You're not worried about his availability this week, or I think really any week this season. If anything were to happen, I think it'd be next year. We know how this plays out in the court system, and the approach the NFL has taken over the past few years is to kind of wait and see how things play out in the court system and then act. That's their that's MO. So Dalvin Cook, RB4 for me this week. And you feel pretty confident you're going to have him available to you every single week. And you love the matchup against the Los Angeles Chargers because they've been terrible against the run, no matter who they've played against. And Joey Bosa himself is a little bit of a question mark heading into this game. Now, from the receiver side, Justin Jefferson, he's my wide receiver 15. Adam Thielen, my wide receiver 21. Solid wide receiver twos. The one thing I will say is this, though. You might have to lower your expectations as far as what Justin Jefferson's ceiling could be this particular week because Asante Samuel did practice in full and looks like he'll be back in this game. And I suspect he'll be on Jefferson more times than not. Now we don't know about Davis yet. They do have Harris who's healthy. So you have to lower your expectation on Adam Thielen a little bit too, because he'll probably get the Chris Harris draw. But with Asante Samuel back for the Chargers, you're going to see them get back to being a tough team to throw the ball on. That's why Kirk Cousins is not a stream for me this week. And the wide receivers are only wide receiver twos, not, closer to that wide receiver one territory like they normally would be, especially in Justin Jefferson's case. Just kind of keep that in mind. You're playing these guys. Don't get it twisted. But when you're going through the expectation of your lineup, just kind of keep that in mind. He has a bit of a tough matchup this particular week. Tyler Conklin comes in at my tight end 18. That's just outside my streaming area of tight ends. So I would think you have a better option to turn to, for instance, like a Pat Fremuth or something like that. But if you don't, or if you're in deeper leagues, I think you can consider Tyler Kaka at the very least because he continues to get six to seven targets at a pretty consistent rate. And if you're going to get that kind of target share as a tight end, you're interesting to me. You just are. The problem with him is that he's not as involved in the red zone like you would want him to be for tight ends. And you're looking you know, for ones in that range, when you're talking about that mid-level tight end too, you're looking for ones who have touchdown capabilities. And his touchdown potential is just not as high as a lot of the other guys there, which is why he comes in a tight end 18 for me to begin with. So I think there's better options out there, but he's not totally off my radar, depending upon what's available to you. And on the Chargers side, while offensively they've been a bit disappointing, as far as our overall production goes, and of course, Mike Williams, we'll talk about in a second. Justin Herbert's still been pretty good. He had a very good game against the Philadelphia Eagles. Comes into this matchup as my QB6. This is a great matchup against the Minnesota Vikings. It should be a smash spot for this offense, especially if he can get back to what it was doing in early September. And then that's where we bring in the Mike Williams point. Everybody's asking themselves, what do you do? Is, Is he back to just being Mike Williams of old, where he's, A big threat guy down the field, maybe a red zone target here and there, and nothing more. He has no floor because he's just not involved. You're asking yourself that question. It's valid. I mean, he's been, what, five targets, two receptions every week for the past month. Now, here's what I'll say. I'll excuse him for the first game, right, because that was the game he picked up the injury. And I'll even excuse him for the second game because he didn't practice at all that week and just forced his way out there to play. Then they had the bye week. This is where the problem is. They had the bye week, they come back, and he's still going two receptions with five targets. That's what worries you. What also worries me is that this offense looks eerie similar to the offense I saw last year, not the offense we saw in the beginning of this year. Last year with a whole different coaching staff. And what I mean by that is this, it looks like they're setting things up against you. Mike Williams is not running that full receiver route tree that I was touting so much earlier on the year where I kept saying, I think Mike Williams actually might be for real the rest of the season because he was playing a different role. He wasn't just going deep and being the jump ball guy. He was getting targeted in the middle of the field, in short areas of the field. He was running a full tree and getting utilized in that way. And it wasn't affecting Keenan Allen. They were both getting double-digit targets. And Austin Eckler could still get worked in too. The only thing, the tight ends weren't involved. Well, now all of a sudden that's changed. The tight ends are getting more involved. Mike Williams isn't running as many routes. He's just kind of going deep. So now we go back to what we had last year, where it's, it's Keenan Allen 80% of the time, or 70% of the time, and then 20% of the time, it's Austin Eckler check down. And then the other 10% of the time, it's split between Mike Williams going deep and the tight ends. That's what we had last year. That's the problem. I said this going into this week. Get this game against Minnesota. It's a great matchup. They don't have second, they don't have corners who can who can match up with Mike Williams. If the Chargers don't get back to utilizing him in all parts of the field and using him more as a 1A, 1B to Keenan Allen rather than the clear cut number two. And he has a big game here against the Minnesota Vikings. There's a couple things you have to pay attention to. Did they utilize him? Did they open up the game plan? Did they get back to what they did in September with their offense with him? If they did, You might be able to consider this as a turning point for Mike Williams moving forward and get back to being excited about having him in your lineup. If he has a big game, but it wasn't necessarily because he went back to running his full route share, being utilized in that way, it was more about him getting the ball deep and making a big play, and he wound up having a good fantasy day. Then you sell high on him because then I mean that to me that means it's not coming back. The utilization is not coming back the way we need it to be but he could still have a good fantasy day because the big play will be available against the Minnesota Vikings. Then you just sell him high while you still can. Cause they, cause you can say to your opponent, Hey, he's had a big game. He's he's he back to what he was in early September. as a you know, a, a low end performing wide receiver one. He's turned the corner. He's getting back to it. He's healthy from the knee. That's what you say to whoever you trade him to. And you sell him high. So that's what you're looking for. Make sure you're tuning in to us on Monday. We'll go through the recap because I will make sure I talk about that because I'm watching this situation very, very closely, a potential trade high candidate. Keenan Allen this week, my wide receiver 12. Mike Williams, my wide receiver 18. You're playing both of them this week because, again, like I said, because of this matchup, he doesn't necessarily need to go back to his old role to have a good fantasy day. If he doesn't have a good fantasy day, I'll give you a third option. Then he comes down to a boom or bust wide receiver three for me the rest of the way. And that's what you have to play him as. Austin Eckler is my number three running back. I know it's been disappointing last week, but again, smash bot. You love the utilization. You're not worried about Austin Eckler long term. I don't care about the tight ends. Jared Cook's not even necessarily leading tight end anymore. They're getting, you know, Parham involved and they're kind of spreading it out, usage wise, anyway, between the tight ends, different ones playing. So, you're not looking at Jared Cook as a potential streaming option anymore. As far as betting this game, it's an interesting one because I think on paper, both these teams are kind of even. The Chargers maybe are a little bit more talented and they're at home, which is usually a big thing. But the Vikings are much better on the road. The line here is set at minus three for the Chargers, which is basically what you start off with as a home team. So, Vegas is telling you this essentially is a pick'em game with an over under set at 52.5. This is a no contest for me. I see a multitude, wide range of outcomes, and I'm probably not going to bet this game at all whatsoever. I'm going to be interested to watch it from a fantasy standpoint especially, but I'm not going to be interested in this game as far as betting on it. Let's talk about the Philadelphia Eagles and the Denver Broncos. We got to talk about Jalen Hurts. So he was touted, he was the most consistent quarterback so far this season, the only one who had been consistent in fact. And then all of a sudden Nick Sirianni discovered the running game <laughs> and which is better for the Philadelphia Eagles, they've been playing a lot better since then. But it hasn't been great for Jalen Hurts fantasy owners. So now what do you do? The guy is still, you know, he's still listed as a top 5 quarterback so far this season for fantasy football purposes, which makes you feel like you have to play him. I don't have them as a must-start this week, though. I got my QB 13. And it's a mixture of variables heading into this matchup. One, the Denver Broncos defense, I think, is a good defense. They've been inconsistent at the times this year. Obviously, they were very good last week against the Dallas Cowboys. Would I be surprised if they had a letdown after a high-flying emotional win like that? No, it wouldn't shock me, but this game is in Denver which always helps the Broncos. They are usually very good at home. And I think that defense is better than what has has played like at times this season. I think they're especially better against the run than they get credit for. And that's where it plays in the Hurts, where it's very interesting for Hurts. On one hand, I think there's a lot of this game He's going to be under pressure. And I think the receivers are going to have a hard time getting open. On the other hand, if the Eagles can't run the ball effectively, and they have to go back to throwing the football and doing RPO with Hurts, I think it will be okay for you fantasy-wise because we've seen him in other matchups that are tough on paper, but he gets enough volume, enough opportunity, he turns in you know a fantasy day of plus 20 points, and he can run it in at any time for rushing touchdowns. But I think you have a chance here where Denver defense could actually just shut them down altogether. So Jalen Hurts is a QB 13 for me this week. The Eagles are certainly are going to come out trying to run the football the way they had the past two games because they've been playing better since then. I don't think they're going to mess with that formula, at least not for this game. So you can play him. Obviously, as a QB 13, that would make him a top streaming option, typically speaking. If you have him, you probably don't have a better option. And I wouldn't drop him for a guy that I do have in the top 12, to be very, very clear here. But he's not a must-start for me, depending upon what kind of options you have available to you. Jordan Howard comes in as my RB33. The only reason is this. He's got the best chance to score a touchdown of the Eagle running backs. Otherwise, I don't like the smash spot for him. I don't. Again, I think the Denver Broncos are better than people give him credit for on run defense. So I don't think he'll be particularly efficient in this game. It's just a matter of if they get in close... It could be Jordan Howard time. He could have an opportunity to score. So he comes in RB3 for that, but you're you're relying on that touchdown. So hopefully, you might have a better option there too. Devonta Smith comes in at wide receiver 25. Again, I think the wide receivers are going to have a hard time getting open in this game. And we've seen situations like that throughout the year. Because Hertz is not the most accurate guy in the world, he can't make those perfect passes and force it in there to his wide receivers. That Smith has had some dud games as a result. I think this could wind up being another one of those. But He still comes in as a top-end wide receiver three. Why? I think the Philadelphia Eagles are going to have to come back from behind in the second half. So I think you're going to have the extra volume, and he's still the number one target on this team. So I think he's still an option for you as a wide receiver three. But the only pass catcher, really the only eagle, that I feel great about playing is Dallas Goddard. I don't even know how great I feel about playing him. He's still my tight end 11, but it still makes him a tight end one for me. And the target share, as far as the tight end goes, is still way up there. I expect him to get back into the end zone sooner rather than later without Zach Ertz. It hasn't happened yet. I expect it to happen soon. It could happen this week against the Denver Broncos. So I feel confident. in so firing up Dallas Goddard, if he's been your tight end one to this point on the Broncos side of the ball, the Eagles defense makes things interesting, right? Cause they've been playing a lot better. They're not playing the soft, soft cover two shell. That they were playing earlier on in the season, allowing teams to kind of just dink their dunk their way down the field. And they're, Rushing defense, which used to be stout, wasn't for most of this year, Seems to be back to being stout again because they're moving the safeties up closer to the box. They're letting their defense play downhill a little bit more. They've been blitzing a little bit more. Fletcher Cox has been more effective over the past couple of weeks. That's led to them having a better rush defense. We could be getting back to the point where you see the Philadelphia Eagles on the schedule and you have a running back, you say to yourself, this is not a matchup I want to have. Having said that, Melvin Gordon, Javante Williams, both still RB2s for me. The volume, of course, being split 50-50. Melvin Gordon, 18. Javante Williams, 21. Because Gordon's still getting more touches, more touches, especially in the passing game. It's unfortunate. We want it to be Javante Williams, but that hasn't been the case so far this season. I don't know why it would change this week, but they're both RB2 plays for me in this matchup. The ones I kind of want to stay away from a little bit is the pass catchers. Bridgewater spreads the ball out. So that's the number one issue. No one really gets overly featured. Things might be a little bit easier because Darius Slay may not be able to play after getting injured last week. So things might be a little bit easier, especially for Cortland Sutton, because I think he was going to be the guy Darius Slay was going to shadow. But he still comes in at wide receiver 30 for me. Jerry Judy's wide receiver 29. I think he's a little bit more of a safer floor because he runs those patterns that Teddy Bridgewater likes to go to. Tim Patrick's a wide receiver four, even though he's been pretty consistent. But still, I don't like anybody's ceiling in this matchup. I think it's going to be a very low-scoring game, defensively led. The good news for the Broncos being that Noah Fantz has off the COVID list, but he comes in my tight end 13. He's had a tremendously low floor, especially with all the weapons back for the Denver Broncos. Because again, you just don't know where the targets are going to go that particular weekend. It might get spread out so evenly between all of them that nobody has a ceiling. So these are all options if you need them to be, but they don't have the top end potential that you want making them not must plays across the board, frankly. Again, I said this game was going to be pretty low scoring. So when you're looking at the betting side of things, you look at this game, you see it's minus two and a half for the Denver Broncos at home. That's basically a pick 'em game. The over-under set at 45 and a half. If I'm going to bet on, I probably won't bet on this game, but if I am going to bet on anything on this game, I'm going to bet that under. I'm anticipating a low-scoring matchup between the Philadelphia Eagles and the Denver Broncos this week. All right, here's what I want to do. I want to take a quick break. When I come back on the other side, I still got a couple more games to talk to you guys about, and then I got the mailbag segment for you like we do every single week. So everybody, stay tuned to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. We'll be right back with you after this word from our sponsor.
1: Your client's going away for 10 years. Unless. Unless.
2: First picks. It's football season, baby, and you know what that means? It means we're going for two here with the sponsors of today's show, Manscaped. Blitzing through hairs has never been easier, and it's time for you to join the two million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by using promo code BELLYUPFANTASY at manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping. It's three and out the window with all the other hair trimmers. Now go tame that wildcat offense. As the world is starting to open, the Performance Package 4.0 from Manscaped is here to help you get ready. Inside, you'll find their brand new lawnmower 4.0 Trimmer, Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Crop Preserver, Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver Toner, plus two free gifts, Performance Boxer Briefs, and the Shed Travel Bag. The performance package 4.0 from Manscaped is the perfect package for your package and a key for great grooming and hygiene routine to make sure the boys downstairs are smooth like Tom Brady in the fourth quarter. Get 20% off and free shipping when you use the promo code BellyUpFantasy at Manscaped.com today.
0: You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show.
2: Welcome back, Empty Nation, to the show. You are listening and or watching the MD's Fantasy Football Show, streaming to you live on social media at MDFF Show, And of course, we're always live on our MD's Fantasy Football Show YouTube channel. Please subscribe to you get the chance. Follow us along on your favorite pod streaming app after the show. You can catch all of our episodes and listen to them at any time of your convenience. We'll be back on again later tonight on the Unhinged Radio Network at unhingesn.airtime.pro from 6 to 7.30. And then we're going to go live again tonight. A lot of content today. At 9 p.m., we'll be live on social media and on YouTube with the MDs DFS contest and lock bets of the week. You won't want to miss that. Chris will be joining the show. Chaz Villardi will be joining the show. We're going to try to win you guys some money for week 10 like we always try to do. I'm your host, Dan Mater. We've been talking about the late slate matchup window of games, or for me on the East Coast, I like to call them the 4 o'clock, and of course the primetime Sunday night and Monday night matchup. We recapped the Thursday game. We updated you on the injuries from the early slate window of games, which you can catch that episode we did on Wednesday night. Again, you go back on your favorite posturing app or on YouTube. I want to kick things off here in this segment with the Seattle Seahawks and the Green Bay Packers. Very highly touted game. I believe it's probably game of the week. Aaron Rodgers expected back, although we still don't know. We still don't know for sure. He still has to officially test negative, be asymptomatic, all that good stuff by tomorrow. Remember, tomorrow is the earliest he can even be cleared. So we will be waiting for that news officially to drop tomorrow. Now, we're expecting it to be that. We're expecting him to play, but it's still not official yet. So if you're waiting for Aaron Rodgers for your lineups, just still, you know, just in case, have a backup plan. And don't let it be Jordan Love. Don't let it be the Packers' backup plan, because that's awful. That's terrible. If Rodgers does go, like we expect him to, he's our QB7 this week. You like the match against the Seattle Seahawks. This is a game that has a chance to be higher scoring because of Russell Wilson returning. We'll talk about that when we talk about Seattle. Aaron Jones comes in in my RB6. It's a good matchup. The key here will be Aaron Rodgers returning. If Rodgers returns, AJ Dillon will probably be a little bit less involved. Aaron Jones will be a little bit more involved in the passing game. And that'll be the big caveat for Aaron Jones being able to get back to a mid level RB1 for this matchup. It's been disappointing. It has. And I'm with you guys in MD Nation. Look, I have a few shares of Aaron Jones myself. And here's what I'm going to say to you guys, and hopefully this will help you put your minds to ease a little bit. I'm still not, I have Aaron Jones myself, I'm still not worried about AJ Dillon. That's not the issue right now. The issue right now is that without Rodgers, Jordan Love is terrible. And therefore, the entire offense gets a huge downgrade. Especially the passing game. Which is more Aaron Jones's territory. I know A.J. Dillon last week had the four targets, the four receptions, and that's what everybody's losing their mind about. But just go back from a few weeks ago. Remember, A.J. Dillon had four receptions that one week, and Matt LaFleur talked about how I got to get him more involved. What happened a few weeks after that? He didn't get a single target. So again, this has more to do with Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Jones being more involved I don't know why this is the case, but being more involved in the game plan from a passing rushing standpoint when Rodgers is in the game. And of course, the entire offense gets a big boost as far as what their ceiling is. That goes to Devontae Adams. Adams is my number two wide receiver on the week. Again, in anticipation that Rodgers plays. If Rodgers were to not play, you're still going to play Aaron Jones, but he might be more of a high-end RB2, low-end RB1. And A.J. Dillon might be more of a flex play consideration. If it's for Devontae Adam case, if it's Jordan Love, you're still going to play him. But it might be with more of a wide receiver two expectation rather than an elite top three wide receiver one. That's the difference there. It's a huge difference. It really is. But you're still going to play these guys no matter what. I'm not looking for other options to pivot off of them. That's all you need to know about the Green Bay Packers. Let's talk about the Seattle Seahawks. There's there's a lot to go over here. So, first and foremost, Russell Wilson, expected back, has been practicing, has looked good. We fully are confident that he's going to be good to go. That's number one. As far as Chris Carson is concerned, we still don't know. He's going to be a game-time decision. He did practice this week. For what it's worth, Pete Carroll keeps saying that he looks good, although... Anytime Pete Carroll opens his mouth about an injury in a player, you have to ignore it. Here's what I'm going to say. I would still be surprised. Until they are 100% confident, I don't think Chris Carson's going to play. It's the nature of the injury. You have to be heavily concerned every time he takes a hit, every time he lowers his shoulder, which is all the time. (laughs) It's all the time when he's out there in the field. I don't get the feeling they're 100% confident this week. So I think it's at least one more week before we see Chris Carson return. I do think he returns this season. They designated him for a return. They wanted him practicing. So I do think it's within, if it's not this week, I think it's a good chance either next week or the week after he'll be back. I do think he returns this season. But they have to be extra cautious with him this year. And even when he does come back, I don't think he gets the full workload. They're going to want to manage him. They're going to want to be protective of him. So my advice is this. If you have Chris Carson, you knock on the door of the Alex Collins owner and say, hey, you want to keep the Seattle backfield? Let's try to work out a deal. Because I don't think you're ever going to be able to trust Chris Carson to actually play full four quarters and then he get, if a matchup that you have to play him in. Will he be the lead back, or at least the expected one to be, if he starts? Yeah, of course. But you're better off not having Chris Carson on your team the rest of the way, if you can help it. That's my fantasy advice. As far as this matchup goes, if he plays, he would be an RB3. Because, again, I don't expect him to have a full workload. But that's only if he plays. If he doesn't play, Alex Collins is my RB30. So kind of in the same territory. In theory, you like the match with the Packers. I know their defense has been playing better over the past couple of weeks. But you still should like this matchup for him. should at least have an opportunity to be efficient. And you like the overall ceiling of the Seattle offense with Russell Wilson back in the building to get some red zone opportunities. So whoever the starting running back is, they have a chance to score a touchdown in this game, making them at least an RB3. Unfortunately, because they still have this committee going on, especially when it comes to the passing game aspect of things, that's about as far as any one of their ceilings are going to go. Now we get to the wide receivers. This is what we've all been waiting for, right? DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, get Russell Wilson back. Both had great fantasy days against Jacksonville, though, with Geno Smith. But again, again, it was Jacksonville. and the Packers from playing better defense. Reiterate that point. Although, I would say on paper, still should be able to get taken advantage of. When Russell Wilson back, at least you know the deep ball gets put back on the table for both of these guys, which is something they need for their fantasy football value. And I feel very, very, very confident that Kevin King cannot stick a DK Metcalf. And I have DK Metcalf all the way up to my wide receiver three this week. I love him this week. I do. I think when Wilson back... He is a superstar elite wide receiver one this week in this matchup. Tyler Lockett is a must play for me. He's my wide receiver 19. Of course, he benefits having Russell Wilson back. They've always had that connection. They got the deep ball there. I think he'll have some nice volume. But the problem with this, and this is why I'm not getting overly excited about Tyler Lockett just yet. Even when Russell Wilson was in there earlier on in the season, he still had two great games and was going back to being a dud in his other matchups three weeks in a row. I went through a little bit of a caveat in there though. I don't know how healthy Lockett's been. He had that knee issue. Remember that late in that game, I believe that was week two, which was his last good game. And since then he hasn't performed well. Now it could be a, a number of things. Yes. Tyler Lockett is heavily inconsistent. He's had long stretches in the past. A la last year where he's completely healthy and still just not able to perform. And he's been practicing in full. So I'm not excusing his bad performances by any stretch of the means. But what I am saying to you is this. They're coming out of the bye week. It might be as healthy as Tyler Lockett has been since the beginning of the season. He looked good against Jacksonville. Not saying much, I know, but he still looked good against Jacksonville with Geno Smith. And then he got some rest. So if Lockett's healthy with Russell Wilson back in the building in the game, that could be a little bit more high scoring. I do think there is a nice ceiling for Tyler Lockett heading into this week, and I think he is a must play at wide receiver 19. The best news, of course, for Seattle for those receivers of your owners of them is that they didn't pick up OBJ to take away their target share. So you still have a 1A, 1B, and you're still playing them both with confidence and more confidence now that you have Wilson back. As far as betting this game, it's kind of hard to say. It's minus three and a half for the Packers at even money, actually. The favorite would be the Seattle Seahawks at plus three and a half. The over-under set at 49. You see several different ways this game could go, but I would bet this game on the idea that Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers will be facing off. I'm going to take the over at 49. And I'm going to call that a lock bet for me. Take the over at 49 heading into this matchup. Now, I might want to wait until we get the official news about Aaron Rodgers to place any wagers on it. So maybe wait till Sunday morning or at least Saturday night, whatever the case may be. But I would go over on the forty nine, assuming all things are a go go for those teams. I'll tell you what's not a go go—it's the Kansas City Jeep offense. I never seen anything like it. So I'm a big fan of sports talk radio, as I probably would imagine. And on one show, and I'm not going to mention it because I don't really want to get into it, but on one show they had somebody who's very smart, very knowledgeable in the NFL. This wasn't a fantasy show, by the way. And he was talking about how you know they've done some research and the quarterback's getting the yips, and what is it that can snap them out of it? And the one thing the guy mentioned is that sometimes, and he said Aaron Rodgers talked about this himself, is that sometimes it just takes one play or a drive or a key moment to snap you out of it and get you back to playing at your normal pace, at your normal talent. And they were trying to make the case that the play last week at the end of the game, when Patrick Mahomes hit that game winning pass to Tyreek Hill that sealed the end of that game against the Green Bay Packers, that maybe that's the type of pass that could snap him out of his slump. I disagree. Look, it's not Patrick Mahomes is slumping. He's not playing like Patrick Mahomes. There's there's no question about that. But it's not just Patrick Mahomes at the issue. And that's why I disagree. It's the play calling that's the issue. It's been very stagnant. It's not been as creative. They're not scheming guys to get open. They're not using motion. Talk about this. I feel like I've been talking about this every single week. It's a broken record, but I'm going to keep bringing it up. The majority of this needs to be put on Eric Bieniemy and Andy Reid, whoever it is, that's calling the plays. Because I think it's been going back and forth. It needs to be put on them. The majority of this. The other portion of it gets put on Patrick Mahomes because he's not. He's not just taking the simple things that are in front of him. He's trying to make big plays every single time he's out there. Now, earlier on the year, you knew it because it was the defense. The defense couldn't stop anything or anybody, so he felt like he had to win the game on every single throw. Well, the defense has been playing a little bit better over the past couple of weeks, and he's still acting like he has to win the entire game on every throw and not just taking the simple fundamental things that are right there in front of him. Again, I'll keep... Putting out this comparison, it reminds me a lot of Aaron Rodgers and his last year with Mike McCarthy and how he played. Eventually, he's going to turn it around. The question is, does it happen this season, or do we have to wait for him to turn around in 2022? That's what redraft owners want to know. Again, I think it's more than just Patrick Mahomes that's the problem for the Kansas City Chiefs. The other aspect of it, the third variable, is that that offensive line that you spent all these resources on that was supposed to be a strength of this team, It was supposed to be a top-five offensive line, remember has been incredibly disappointing, and they've been rated worse than what they were last year. And they have way more talent. So that's the other correction that has to be made. So I don't think there is any one snap to just snap Patrick Mahomes out of it. I think it's going to take more than that. So that's my issue there. All that to say, Mahomes is only a QB10 for me this week. So he's still a QB1. Still going to play him. Against the Raiders. But you got to lower your expectations. And this goes hand in hand with what I talked about earlier when I said about Lamar Jackson. If you could trade Mahomes based on name and get a valuable running back, wide receiver, or tight end, I'd do it. And I would rather stream. Because I don't know if he snaps out of it this year. Could he? Is it it possible for it to happen? Sure. You got three weeks now, though, of Patrick Mahomes putting up single-digit points. You can't win games when your quarterback puts up single-digit points, especially on a consistent rate like that. So he's my QB 10, and there's a real possibility he could continue to fall in my rankings. Just keep that in mind. In other news, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, he's been practicing all this week, but we're getting news, you know, just actually while the show is going on, we got news that Andy Reid's saying it might be a stretch for him to come back this Sunday, and I agree with that. Look, they are bye weeks next week, or two weeks, week 12. There's no real reason to bring back Clyde Edwards-Aler until he's 100% healthy because Darrell Williams, one, has been fine in his stead, and two, the Chiefs don't use a running back that often anyway. So I don't think there's any reason to rush him back until he's exactly 100%. It sounds like while he still has a chance to play, he still has a chance to get activated, they may be leaning towards him not, at least for this week. Maybe he comes back in week 11, right before their bye week in week 12. But I think you're going to have the opportunity to continue to stick with Rel Williams as that flex play spot star RB2 for you this week. you still got to play Tyreek Hill. He's my number five wide receiver on the week. He still gets a lot of targets, a lot of volume. There is a, there's a floor to his game. I know it was terrible last week, but he's been targeted very heavily, even though this offense has been struggling. So he does have a floor more times than not. The same thing goes with Travis Kelsey. Is he the Travis Kelsey of old? No, he hasn't been so far this season. Is he the Travis Kelsey gives you a cheat code at the position that had a lot of people drafting him in the first round because of what the advantage that he brought to the table is. No, he hasn't been that. He's still been the tight end one, but he hasn't been that big cheat code. You needed him to be. And this goes back to, I remember in the preseason, I was like, look, I, I don't feel comfortable drafting a tight end in the first round. Cause it just doesn't work out very often. The last time we did it with Gronk and that was the year he got injured and, and wound up being a task for if you draft him in the first round. Now, Kelsey hasn't been a catastrophe. But if you draft him in the first round, there's a good chance your team's not doing great, or at least not in first place. But he's still the tight end one. And you're still going to play him with confidence, obviously, as well. On the Raiders' side of the ball, I expect Derek Carr to get back on track. I expect him to play well against this terrible Kansas City defense. Remember, last week, while the defense played better, it was still Jordan Love who was the quarterback. So Derek Carr comes in. He's one of my top... You know, go get him if he's out there in the waiver wire quarterbacks. He's my QB 11. I think that should be no surprise there for anybody. As far as the pass catchers go, Darren Waller's my tight end, too. I think that goes without saying. Hunter Renfro comes in at the highest I've had him ranked all season long. Love the matchup. Love the volume. Love the situation. He's my wide receiver 24. He's been great. He's had a consistent floor. And he's actually had opportunities to score touchdowns, which has raised his ceiling quite a bit. And you got to like him this week against the Kansas City Chiefs. They signed to Sean Jackson. That's nice. I have a hard time believing he's going to play a significant amount yet in this game. I do think eventually he gets the honey rugs roll if he can stay healthy. That's going to be the other question. If you play more, can you actually stay healthy for more than two games? I don't know. But it won't be this week that I will contemplate playing him as a boom or bust receiving option. Josh Jacobs is my RB10. You love the matchup. It sounds like he's been okay in practice. It sounds like he'll be good to go. Kenyon Drake just outside my top 36, but in full point PPR leagues isn't out of the question as a play because he does have a consistent role since John Gruden has left. And, being that Josh Jacobs had a hard time staying healthy throughout these games. He does have a little bit of a ceiling where Jacobs is banged up, but Kenny and Drake kind of fills in for him and you get the little extra volume that you weren't necessarily anticipating heading into the matchup. But that's not really what I'd be counting on. I'd just be counting on his role in the passing game. However, while he has sustained his role and that's why he can be in full point PPR considered possibly a flex option, depending on what you have available to you. The reason I love Josh Jacobs so much as a top 10 running back this week is not just because of the matchup and what he can do on the ground. He's getting four to five targets a games, so and John Gruden's left. What we've been begging for. So if he's healthy, he's good to go, which it sounds like he is. You feel great about playing him. As far as betting those games go, I don't know how you don't bet against the Chiefs. Hasn't matter what the line is. Even when they were good, they didn't cover. They're minus two and a half here. I'm taking the Raiders to win this game outright. Until the Chiefs prove to me that their offense is back, I can I don't know how you can expect them to be back. So I'm taking the Raiders outright in this game. Call it my upset pick of the week, although I don't think it's much of an upset, but the Raiders are at home. They are at minus two and a half underdogs. The money line is plus 125. The is set at 52. I'm staying away from that because you have no idea what to expect out of the Chiefs' offense right now. But I'm going to take the Raiders to win. They had a disappointing game last week against the Giants. I think they're going to bounce back, a divisional rival, a Chiefs team that they've always played well against even when the Chiefs were really good and the Raiders were really bad. So I'm very confident in taking the Raiders outright in this matchup. Now we got the Rams and the San Francisco 49ers for the Monday night game. I think people are a little bit shell-shocked by the Tennessee Sunday night game last week because I'm going to start off with the betting line here on this one. The Rams are only minus four. I think it was last year, the last time the 49ers covered a spread at home. And this game is in San Francisco. So, give me a Rams at minus four of a lock bet of the week. That over-under set at 49. And I want to start off the betting because, of course, the big news from the fantasy standpoint is that they added OBJ. Now, while from a fantasy standpoint for OBJ's purposes, I think this is one of the worst places he could have gone. Because... Not only does he not have the chance to not be the number one target, I don't think he really has a chance to be the number two target. The best case scenario for OBJ is that he overtakes Van Jefferson as the starting third receiver. And this team plays a lot of three receiver sets. I mean, the one of the things I've been harping on about Van Jefferson being an interesting pickup for me has been on the waiver wire report for the past couple of weeks is because of the fact that he's been playing just as many snaps, running just as many routes as Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. That could be OBJ. It also equals into about five to seven targets a game. So it's not terrible volume. I do think OBJ is better than Van Jefferson, especially in the role that they're playing Van Jefferson in, which is more the deep level type of guy. I think OBJ will be better in that fit. And of course, you love the offense more. You love Matthew Stafford more. But I think his ceiling as a fantasy asset is going to be, it, it won't be any higher than a wide receiver three. And I think it might be a little bit on the the hit or miss side of a wide receiver three as well. I think the other question people are asking themselves, you know, is Cooper Cup. I mean, right now he's probably on the most first place teams out there and was probably going to be on the most championship teams out there. And you're wondering yourself, well, does this affect Cooper Cup? I don't think it does. Because again, I think they brought him in to take over Van Jefferson's role and move Van Jefferson down to the wide receiver four, which again means a lot of playing time, but five to seven targets that comes out of Van Jefferson? I don't think that comes out of Cooper Cup. I think it might take away a few targets from the tight ends. I don't think it comes out of Cooper Cup. Remember, there's something here that is bigger than, than usage and math and, and scheme fit. There's a genuine chemistry. There's a genuine rapport between a Matthew Stafford and a Cooper Cup. And that's why I'm not worried about him not being the wide receiver one as long as he stays healthy and he's out there on the field. Do I worry a little bit about Robert Woods, who has just recently gotten back to being Robert Woods again in that you know strong, high floor, wide receiver two that you need him to be. Yeah, I'm a little concerned about Robert Woods, maybe losing a couple targets here and there. But he does seem like he's kind of turned the corner. And again, you still have to work in OBJ. That's going to take a few weeks. So I don't think I'm worried about Robert Woods or Cooper Cup. The guy who I'm just going to completely drop and move off of would be Van Jefferson. As far as this week's matchup goes, because I don't really think OBJ is going to play much, even if he does be in certain packages. But Matthew Stafford by QB5. We were a little bit worried about Darrell Henderson. We haven't heard too much about him, but it sounds like he's going to play. He's going to be okay with that. He had a little bit, he banged up his ankle a little bit. That's why I saw Sony Michelle play a little bit more, especially in the second half. But from what I understand, he's okay. He comes in my RB13. San Francisco run defense is just not very good anymore. Especially since Javon Kinlaw has been out. Robert Woods, wide receiver 20. Cooper Cup, my wide receiver 1. Tyler Higbee's the one I've kind of had to fall down on. I still like the usage. The, The process is still there. The snaps, the routes run, the targets. That's all been there for Tyler Higbee. The problem is that there's been no results. With all that usage, it still just has not resulted in anything that you can really utilize. So I think you can do worse than Tyler Higbee. But I think you can definitely do a lot better. And he's kind of in that Tyler Conklin territory for me this week around t- uh, tight end 17. On the San Fran side, the good news for Debo Samuel owners is that it seems like he may be, have gotten past the calf injury without having to miss any games. I'm still always worried about him when it comes to the calf, especially later on in the season. But if he can get through it without having missed time, you got to be happy about that. He was absent in the practice report yesterday. Now, that's a West Coast team, so we're not going to find out today's report until a little bit later from now. But being that he wasn't even on the injury report yesterday, I expect him to practice. He practiced in full yesterday, and as long as he didn't have a setback, he should be okay again today. But he does come in at wide receiver 16 for me. I think he's going to see a lot of Jalen Ramsey. is going to see a lot of Jalen Ramsey in this game. That should open things up, however, for Brian Ayuk who has played a lot more the past couple of weeks and last week had the nice performance and looks more like Brian Ayuk, and was actually allowed to be involved in the offense again. So I think Brian Ayuk, he comes in at wide receiver 32 for me. I think he's a, a decent wide receiver three play that you can feel confident putting in your starting lineup. I don't I don't think it's one of those you put him in and you close your eyes and you hope for the best situation. I think you can genuinely put him in and feel okay about it, especially with the idea that Ramsey is probably going to shadow Debo Samuel, which is why I have him as a mid-level wide receiver two instead of a wide receiver one that he's been for most of the season. Yeah, George Kittle, tight end four. Was great in his performance last week, his first week off. I expect him to get even more involved this week and be needed a lot against the Rams. Again, I expect the Rams to bounce back from what they did against Tennessee last week, or what I should say they did not do against the San Fran team, which is just leaking holes all over the defense right now. So I think you have a lot of garbage time available to you for the 49ers on that side of it. And Elijah Mitchell, he's my RB 17. Wasn't great last week. But we know San Francisco, more times than not, wants to be able to utilize the running game that still does flow through Elijah Mitchell. There was a practice report out there that there was a scare for Jeff Wilson at one point, but he got cleared. he was OK and he'll be back out there. So as far as him being active, he will be. He probably won't be involved. We saw last week we just, it was all Elijah Mitchell and Michael Hasty. I think that will continue to be the case as Jeff Wilson works his way back in more so and as long as Elijah Mitchell stays healthy. The curious one's Jimmy Garoppolo. Now, I don't like the match against the Rams defense, so he's not in the streaming territory for me, but this guy's been the QB1 over the past couple of weeks. So that's as interesting from the standpoint. But keep in mind here, outside of the Chicago game and outside of the Detroit game, the 49ers have barely even been able to put up 20 points. I don't think a quarterback can live off of a team that's not putting up 20 points consistently. So I would stay away from it. I don't like it against this Rams defense. I think you're going to see a bounce back in a big way for this Rams team in this spot. And remember, San Francisco is terrible at home. And that goes for their offense, too. So, going to stay away from that. And those are the players you're going to play. And I already talked about the betting lines of it. So, guess what time it is? And we got to do this rapid fire style. Uh, the mail's here. Remember, if you ever want to get on the mailbag segment, all you have to do is hit us up. At show on social media. DM DM us. Send us a question. I'll answer any question that gets sent our way, and I'll pick out a few of my favorites to talk about here on the show. So first up, we got Peyton. He asked me, Pat Friermuth, Mike Isecki, or Dawson Knox rest of the season. That's easy. It's Dawson Knox. Mike Isecki's been very good, but the problem with him is that as soon as Devontae Parker and Will Fuller come back into the mix – He loses out his targets. He loses out his role, but really playing as a wide receiver, not playing as a tight end. As soon as he has to get knocked back inside and being an inline tight end, his value drops like a rock. Dustin Knox has been, he's emerged. He's here to stay. You love him the rest of the way. Kevin, do I trade Damian Harris and Brandon cooks for Terry McLaurin, Tyler Boyd, and Mike Davis? Uh, yes, you do. Now, I don't care about the Tyler Boyd and Mike Davis part. I think you could make this trade and drop those two immediately and pick something up more valuable in the waiver wire for both of them. But I am going to do Damian Harris and Brandon Cooks for Terry McLaurin. Terry McLaurin, look, he's a high-end wide receiver, too, with wide receiver one upside any given week. Brandon Cooks has to deal with the fact that he's on a terrible team. He could run into a buzzsaw at any given moment. We saw that even with Tyrod Taylor back, it still wasn't great. And Damian Harris is so dependent on touchdowns and good matchups. He needs good matchups to be efficient on the ground in order to score touchdowns. He's not going to get in the passing game. So I'd rather have Terry McLaurin than a Damian Harris or a Brandon Cooks. And I would probably just drop Tyler Boyd and Mike Davis. Like I said, I think you can buy more value on the waiver wire. Daniel, he asked, should I trade Tyree kill for Jonathan Taylor? Yeah. Look, I, I typically speaking don't like to trade Tyreek Hill, especially since I think the Chiefs offense has a chance to get it on track. But even when they don't, he's getting all this volume and he can win you a week by himself any given week. But Jonathan Taylor right now is in competition between a handful of backs to finish this year as the RB1 now with Derrick Henry out of the mix and Christian McCaffrey still trying to work his way back to being 100%. He's been fantastic. What's more is he's been fantastic and he hasn't really been getting that much work. He's still not consistently getting 20 touches a game, and yet he's been consistently a top five running back. So, yes, Daniel, I would make that trade. I would trade Tyreek Hill for Jonathan Taylor, especially since he's a running back and it's just harder to come by. Matt, he asked, Should I trade Dak Prescott and Darnell Mooney for Mike Evans? 1000%. What have I been saying all show? Trade these quarterbacks if you can get a valuable running back or a valuable receiver back in return. Why? Because you can stream these guys. And still find replacements for them. And Darnell Mooney is just a throwing guy here. I know fields look great. I know everyone's saying the Bears offense might be turning a corner now. We'll see. It was one decent game. But Mike Evans? Look, with Godwin a little bit banged up right now, we don't know when Antonio Brown's coming back. We don't know when Rob Gronkowski's coming back. He's a wide receiver one, even when they're all playing. Yeah, you make that trade and bring in Mike Evans. That's going to do it for the show today, guys. I hope you all enjoyed it. I know we went a little bit long, but it was worth it. We got through it. We got all the information you need to help you guys out, get the edge heading into your week 10 matchups. Remember, we'll be back again tonight from 6 to 7.30 on the Unhinged Radio Network. And we'll be back again at 9 p.m. for the DFS contest and lock bets of the week i'm your host dan mader make sure you check us out on your favorite pod streaming app after the show download subscribe so you never miss an episode and subscribe to our youtube channel of the mds fantasy football show you guys take care and good luck for your matchups. lucky
1: land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky
3: lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office